Welcome to The Next Imperative, a podcast hosted by AM energy leaders tackling key issues and trends in the industry. In this episode, Senior Director Jeff Angulo and co-host Senior Director Kyle Vano are joined by energy experts Robin Fielder from Talos Energy, Peter Kusera from Trafigura, and Ajay Jagadizian from Oak Tree Capital Management to discuss how world events impact energy. So we've talked a lot about energy transition and energy security. Ajay, you mentioned it earlier that, uh, that that's become an issue this year as, as the Russian-Ukraine situation's evolved. How has that impacted the conversation around this current energy transition? Yeah, so prior to the war, I think there was a significant amount of momentum behind transitioning to green energy sources, wind and solar. And the conversation almost became uh, either this or that between right. fossil fuels and clean energy. Yeah. And at all costs, we're going to do this. Correct, yeah. correct. Yeah. And, and that's where you saw the, a lot of incentives coming out from a government standpoint. You're seeing a lot of investment being deployed from a green energy standpoint. And then post-Russia-Ukraine war, I think we had a really good conversation start coming about between energy diversification and not either or. And so now we're thinking about a mix of energy sources to meet energy that's demand, right. not a strict transition from one to the, to the other. And I think that's where this energy security narrative has, has really helped create this kind of pragmatic conversation now within the energy space of how do I appropriately transition or transform energy sources in a way that I'm still meeting energy demand and I'm also supplying reliable, affordable sources of energy, which is always going to have to include fossil fuels. Yeah. So I see it as we're on two timelines here. So you're talking short term, you're talking this winter, it's it's crisis mode, right? So it's BTUs available into, into Europe in particular. Yeah. And I think you, you characterize it very well, which is I think there, the the high level of ideological sort of posturing is, has, has sort of abated a bit. And I think we're, we're in a place of, you know, both what other energy sources are available, but also what other types of tools do, do companies and policymakers have to manage energy balances? Things like curtailments, you know, commercial and industrial demand getting cut so residential demand can be sort of maintained. I think those are all things that we're going to see quite a bit of. Um, but I think as you go into the medium term, it becomes a much, I think, almost more aggressive or more supportive discussion around, around energy transition. Uh, I think AJ mentioned this earlier. I think the momentum is there once we move out of probably the winter, you know, we'll see how long in 2023 this, this lasts as well to say, well, the system created a reliance that was unsustainable. So there's more interest for exploration of, of more and different types of products, you know, distributed power generation to get away from, you know, centralized natural gas delivered by pipelines from Russia, for example. I think the other piece that we see that's super interesting about this period in time right now is the run-up in conventional energy prices means that you can actually justify the investment, not in all cases, but in many cases, on a standalone basis for uh, energy transition or low-carbon fuels or decarbonized technologies in a way that you would have never been able to do before. Um, we talked about you know capturing capturing fugitive emissions and lowering methane intensity. Well, you're getting paid a lot per MMBTU of every every MMBTU of gas that you're recovering now and putting back into the system and monetizing. Um, you're able to justify 
you know, biofuels or maybe e-fuel type investments that wouldn't have been able to really stand on an on a economic basis previously because your replacement costs have become so high. I think that creates a really interesting dynamic moving you know, past this year and past this immediate crisis for what kind of new sources of supply and technologies can be on the market in a couple of years. I hear some folks argue that, yes, this this crisis has has pushed on the accelerator that we need to transition even faster. But I, I still think it's it's the transformation or evolution bucket. You, you got to really look at the base load, making sure it's secure and, and mm-hmm. certainly affordable and reliable. And um, as we layer on new technologies, making sure that, that those meet some of those criteria as well. And, and, you know, some some technologies will work better in different places. And as I talk about baseload, it could mean turning back on nuclear. And so that can provide a very reliable baseload. And so I think it's it will be a lot of technology. And as we develop new fuels and, and find ways to enable some of these new, whether it's the blue products um, that, you know, Talos is interested in help, helping to enable um, or even um, as we talked about some of the renewable fuels, when you think about um, whether it's biodiesel or renewable natural gas, there's there's a lot of great things that that are that do make economic sense today that maybe didn't a few years ago. And I think that's very exciting and just really allows us to continue to innovate and and rethink how how we approach and and use various products and and even processes. Yeah, no, I think I agree with uh, you know those statements. Uh, you know, uh, just to use a crude football analog, you know, it's uh, you got to, uh, you know, cast the ball first before you can run, <laughs> you know, with it. So, uh, you know, that's what I would say is, uh, you know, security first, uh, you know, before uh, sustainability. But that said, I think uh, although there's some headwinds, you know, from the European crisis, um, the one thing I would also say is I think there's a lot of mem- momentum going into it. And I think it's still there. And uh, I would say that, you know, you need, uh, like Robin mentioned, you need a mix of these uh, sources. And then over time, you know, it just uh, have to, uh, you know, continue to uh, increase the uh, percentage of the renewable sources and decrease the reliance on fossil fuels. But until you do that, um, you know, uh, these, uh, the fossil fuels do play a role um, in uh, the, uh, the energy mix. Yeah, and I think if you look at what the, what the IRA, for example, has, right, in the middle of an energy crisis where we pass this large green energy bill functionally, it's, yes, it's hydrogen, yes, it's solar, but it's also very supportive for carbon capture and blue economy, which functionally is a, is a hydrocarbon extender. And I think it's very pragmatic in terms of the way that, you know, you can debate the, the pros and cons of specific packages or specific, you know, payment terms that are built into that bill. But ultimately, it's about buying down front end cost mm-hmm. to make a whole host of different types of lower, lower carbon technologies available to the consumer. And I think it's more pragmatic in the sense that it's not prescriptive around technology or right. process. It's yeah. prescriptive around carbon intensity. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people think of decarbonization of large industrials and they think the power sector, but it's it's plastics, it's cement, it's steel, which everything you look around and, and use and touch and feel and use every day comes from those those elements. So the more we can decarbonize those systems, I think the better off everyone will be. So it'll be not only introducing new fuels, but just being smarter and creating ever greener fuels and products along the way too. And I think the U.S. was in a pretty good position being more of a fast follower to what was happening in the U.K. Yeah. and the EU. And you saw what the ramifications of trying to accelerate too quickly because you were focused on shifting to those green energy sources Mm -hmm. and then you start seeing the price inflation for fossil fuels you're not meeting the energy demand so then you're kicking back on coal facilities and then 
you're you're not necessarily innovating. You're kind of taking steps back right, steps now that back. you've tried to accelerate too quickly. And yeah. and you look at Germany. I think they came out and they had plans to decommission their nuclear facilities. And right. now with the conversation, they're they're keeping those as backup. So so there's been a little bit of a too fast of an acceleration from a short midterm perspective that that we really need to be thinking through. And I think the RA somewhat indicated a little bit of that um, mm-hmm. need for that diversification mix because part of it was opening up the lease sales in the Gulf of Mexico as well. Yeah. Um, so there was a kind of recognition of fossil fuels coupled with large scale decarbonization on CCS while also continuing to push for um, advancement in that renewable technology to where it does become somewhat more of a cost substitute energy source um, than we focus on solving some of that reliability issue in the future. And that's even going on in Europe, right? The, the UK has recently reversed its ban on fracking. And it'll be yeah. interesting to see how that plays out. I mean, that's not an instant solution. That's not going to lead to more mm-hmm. gas production this winter. Yeah. Um, but how are the people going to feel about that? Does anybody... Yeah, and we're certainly there? we're certainly not perfect here either. I mean, having reflected right. back on winter storm Uri in, in February yeah. of 21, even here in I'll call the great state of Texas, we faced our own challenges. And so I really feel for really all of Europe right now, knowing going into if it's a cold winter, it could be a very big struggle, even though we had a few days without power and and you know, had some very extreme situations there, it's it's gonna be even more extreme. And I hate that it comes to that, but I think at least folks are starting to open their minds a little more to realizing it's going to take a lot of solutions to to help tackle this. And you know, energy is important. It's it's everything we use every every day. I, I always tr- try to, as I'm talking to inv- even investors, is remind folks, you know, every other sector needs and relies on the energy sector every day. So it's it's so important. And I think we just we're so so advantaged and so used to it here in the United States, we, we often take it for granted until you have one of those instances like winter storm Uri and, and you realize, wow, this is a, yeah. this is a huge deal yeah. and it's life threatening in many yeah. cases. Yeah. And when you think about a winter storm like that in Europe where it's much colder, um, it's, it's, it's frankly terrifying. And, you know, I hope, I hope we get some solutions in place before it gets any worse. No, I think you, uh, I think you brought up a really good point. And uh, you know, one is the conversations that you have uh, in a setting like this or in the boardroom, right? The other one is the consumers, right? So there's two things. One is uh, who's going to pay for it, right? You know, the cost maybe as technologies advance and it becomes more widely available, the cost of that comes down. Um, I was just talking to my brother who lives, uh, him and his family live in Germany. Uh, you know, they were ch- trying to charge their electric car with a completely uh, a renewable, 100% renewable, uh, you know, source of power. And it was 65 cents a kilowatt hour. Yeah. Wow. Um, so, you know, there are people who can afford that, you know, can do it. But then, like, you know, as these costs increase, you know, who's going to pay that? You know, especially with everything going on now. So that's one thing that, you know, is definitely, you know, to keep in mind. The other one is, like you said, it's also a, um, in a way, it's a safety issue as well. You know, like what happened in uh, Uri, you know, in 2021. And um, <clears throat> just a funny anecdote. Um, so when, when I moved, when we moved into our new house, we had a, um, a fully plumbed natural gas generator in our house. And I was like, this is Texas, you know, nothing happens, you know. <laughs> Why do I even need it? You know, it just uh, it looks hideous in my backyard, right? Fast forward, 2021, 
you know, we had this storm and it kicked in. So, uh, you know, uh, we had power. Yeah. So um, I think it just goes back to say that, um, you know, uh, you definitely need to have a mix of fuels. You're not going to have uh, wind and rain, uh, wind and shine every day. So you need, uh, you know, um, some amount of, uh, you know, other sources of energy uh, to help you during those uh, times. So, And uh, I want to make a distinction to we talk about the energy diversification mix and the need for fossil fuels. I think it's important to know that the conversation is still responsibly produced fossil fuels as well. So we're, we're continuing to look at lowering that CI of that product. And it's not just fossil fuel as is. We've put the wheels in motion to decarbonize fossil fuel production as well. And so it's it's a responsible mix of energy sources moving forward. And it's not like we're losing sight of that decarbonization narrative. We're just looking at it through a different lens with, with how to transition and the, the different sources. Yeah, and I don't mean to sound controversial here, but I mean, some companies' tactics have been to divest of these hydrocarbon intensive assets. And, and sometimes to a buyer that may not have the financial wherewithal to actually be good stewards of those assets and take right. care of them. And um, that's actually part of where, where Talos comes in. We can be that second owner of assets and, and very intentionally try to take it and improve its carbon intensity. So mm-hmm. I think we can, we can kind of change that narrative around. Yeah. Um, but it's not about just divesting. We really have to come up with real solutions and figuring out what technology, how we're going to, to reduce, and then also we're going to have to have some offsetting. And so we need to establish and develop those carbon markets. And that's a great point, because if one company divests something and somebody else runs it less well than they did, they haven't really solved the problem. They've, they've solved the problem for themselves. But it's kind of like China running a bunch of coal-fired power plants we can do all we want over here if they increase their their carbon output by five x. Yeah, it it's thinking about the, how can we world. actually move yeah. the needle globally. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's a uh, <clears throat> that's a uh, uh, that's a debate that's uh, been happening in recent times. Is uh, do you you do you just take the uh, the ostrich approach? You know, where you just take stick your head in the sand and then say, you know, I'm not doing it, so it's fine. Or do you participate? partake and improve uh, the carbon footprint of that company. So uh, so that's a that's a uh, that's a debate. You know, there's the pluses and minuses on both sides. That's a very interesting uh, question that you raise. Talos has come out. And what I really like is you guys are calling yourselves the energy company of the future. Can you can you talk about how you're positioning yourselves as that energy company in the future and what you're thinking about there as part of this? Yeah, it's really about balancing both. It's it's taking what we do day in and day out, have our expertise in continuing to produce those very affordable, reliable, secure, plentiful hydrocarbon assets, do them smarter, cheaper, and continuously to, to bring down that carbon intensity. But as we're building out this new low carbon business, it's it's really again focused on the end use. It's when we look at doing this as CCS as a service, we're we're looking at the large industrial partners. In our backyard, so we're looking along the the U.S. Gulf Coast where we've got data, um, experience, relationships. And so we can go develop these projects, help our partners decarbonize, help them meet their sustainability goals. 
um, and also be that enabler for these new blue products, help participate in a blue or circular economy. And that's where we can really make a, a, a large impact and, and positive impact as we think about global sustainability goals. I mean, we can offset our emissions as as a single operator and that, that doesn't move the needle. But if, if we can help establish some of these large industrials who have several facilities and are thinking about new greenfield investment and how they can and design that capture up front and, and even look for ways to monetize that low CI product, uh, we want to be a part of that and, and, and help enable that. I think that's how you, how companies can really be meaningful. Looking inside, saying, you know, what are our skill sets? What are our advantages? And how can those play in um, an ever-changing energy dynamic? Talos has come out. And what I really like is you guys are calling yourselves the energy company of the future. Can you, can you talk about how you're positioning yourselves as that energy company in the future and what you're thinking about there as part of this? Yeah, it's really about balancing both. It's it's taking what we do day in and day out, have our expertise and continuing to produce those very affordable, reliable, secure, plentiful hydrocarbon assets, do them smarter, cheaper, and continuously to, to bring down that carbon intensity. But as we're building out this new low carbon business, it's it's really, again, focused on the end use. It's when we look at doing this as CCS as a service, we're, we're looking at the large industrial partners in our backyard, so we're looking along the, the U.S. Gulf Coast where we've got data, um, experience, relationships. And so we can go develop these projects, help our partners decarbonize, help them meet their sustainability goals, um, and also be that enabler for these new blue products, help participate in a blue or circular economy. And that's where we can really make it a, a large impact and, and positive impact as we think about global sustainability goals. I mean, we can offset our emissions as as a single operator and that, that doesn't move the needle. But if, if we can help establish some of these large industrials who have several facilities and are thinking about new greenfield investment and how they can and design that capture up front and, and even look for ways to monetize that low CI product, uh, we want to be a part of that and, and, and help enable that. And I think that's how you, how companies can really be meaningful. Looking inside, saying, you know, what are our skill sets? What are our advantages? And how can those play in um, an ever-changing energy dynamic? Thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe to The Next Imperative so you never miss a new episode. Also, visit our website at alvarezandmarsal.com to learn more and to connect with us.